Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co and follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share some exciting opportunities. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. When the world's attention turns to the explosive Middle East, CBN viewers have come to appreciate Chris Mitchell's timely reports from Israel and throughout the Middle East. He's a top journalist with tremendous integrity and brings a biblical and prophetic perspective to the daily news events that shape our world, especially in and relating to Israel. Chris established the CBN News Middle East Bureau in August 2000. Since then, he's covered a variety of major events in the region, including the Second Intifada, the 2006 Lebanon War, the Arab Spring of 2011, and the rise of ISIS in 2014. He's reported from Cairo's Tahrir Square, the front lines of the battle with ISIS, and has told the story of the persecuted Christians from throughout the Middle East. In addition to these major events that have captured the world attention, Chris has reported on a number of other events of historical and biblical significance that would fall below the radar of others less attuned to the situation in Israel and how history and prophecy intersect. One of the ones that always jumps out to me is his report on the 90th anniversary of the San Remo Conference. Chris also serves as executive director of the Jerusalem Dateline, a weekly program covering the Middle East. In 2015, the National Religious Broadcasters presented Jerusalem Dateline, the most creative programming award. Chris is also the author of two books, Dateline Jerusalem, an eyewitness account of prophecies unfolding in the Middle East, and Destination Jerusalem, ISIS, Convert or Die, Christian Persecution, and Preparing for the Days Ahead. He's currently writing a third book about the continuing developments in the region. Chris graduated from the University of New Hampshire and earned a master's degree in communication from Regent University. After almost a quarter of a century with CBN, Chris, Chris's goal remains to provide in his stories the biblical understanding of the times described in 1 Chronicles 12.32. On a personal note, over and above his professional achievements, Chris is a pillar of a growing community of Christians from America and elsewhere in the world who have uprooted their lives to live in Israel with and among the Jewish people. I have been meaning to host him as a guest here for a while and so glad that now we have this opportunity. He's become a dear friend, and while he's usually the person behind the lens or interviewing others, Chris, it's a tremendous pleasure to have you join me and Inspiration from Zion today. <laughs> hey, Jonathan, it's great to be with you. And uh, I 
was thinking of our, the time when we met. I think it was at the ICEJ, uh, some sort of a reception. That's when we first met many years ago. And that is when we met. And you know what? It's what's so nice is that you sort of become a blur. You can remember the some of the milestones, but it, it just become a blur in a really lovely uh, friendship and relationship. And and it, it, it's not it's not um, shameless pandering, but real sincere affection that I'm uh, that I think so highly of you and what you do and the significance of, of the CBN Bureau here. So I'm really grateful for you sharing uh, your your insight. Um, I want to start. We, we have a lot of, I think, very topical things to talk about, current events related as we're recording mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in May of 2022. Uh, and I want to talk about your career here. But I want to speak for, uh, specifically for people who don't know you or don't know you well enough. I want to speak about you, Chris Mitchell, mm. first. Um, you, I, I, I knew this, but it's important that in your bio that you established the CBN Bureau here. And that's uh, that's almost 22 years ago now. Um, it was at a it was at a very tenuous uh, point, the beginning of what was then called the Second Intifada. How did that opportunity come to you? That that all of a sudden, out of the blue, you're finding yourself moving from Virginia to Jerusalem. Well, well, it's probably a story that uh, maybe go back many many years, but uh, I, I was sort of started in 1996 when I came here to Israel for the first time. It was on assignment with uh, with CBN. Came over with a colleague, John Wagi. We did uh, several stories uh, on uh, what's going on here in, in Israel, some of the history about Israel. At the time, uh, Jonathan, I fell in love with the land. I fell in love with the people. I felt as a believer in the God of Israel that he was like a proud landowner, and he was kind of showing me his wow. land as we drove throughout uh, the Jordan Valley or up north in the Galilee and here in Jerusalem. Uh, my one regret was that my wife and three children weren't with me. Uh, and because, you know, you can share videos or tell stories and, and show pictures, but unless you really come here and experience it for yourself, uh, you, it really, uh, that's what you really need to do. So we didn't realize at the time, four years later, we would all be here. Uh, the second uh, time I came here was in 1997. Uh, and at that time, there was a, a unique experience. I went to a, uh, a message taught by a Bible teacher named Derek Prince. Uh, many people may know him as a, uh, as a well-known Bible teacher uh, and a lover of Israel. And I went to, uh, as I was here on my second assignment, I think it was at Shavuot, and he was giving a message. And the one story I remember from that message was, in 1948, when he wanted to get out of the, um, uh, he was getting out of the British army and he wanted to live in Jerusalem. And he was telling that to a uh, elderly Jewish woman. And she said, well, Derek, you don't choose Jerusalem. Jerusalem chooses you. Wow. And when he said that, it kind of pierced my heart. And I thought, Lord, are you, you choosing us for Jerusalem? And well, uh, then the next year in 1998, my boss sent out an email he asked for uh, volunteers to start a news bureau in Jerusalem. Wow. And uh, when I read the email, I literally pushed myself away from the computer screen uh, <laughs> at the time and thought, wow, is this uh, something that we should uh, sign up for? And it uh, turns out we did. We volunteered. We turned out to be the only ones to volunteer in the news department uh, for several reasons. You know, other people either didn't work out uh you know, personally, they might have had other issues. Uh, they didn't want to move here. Or they didn't feel called here. So 
We thought we would come in 1999, uh, but because of budget reasons, they delayed that. In May of 2000, uh, then the president of CBN, his name was Michael Little. Uh, and you know Michael, I believe. Very fond uh, of Michael Little, absolutely. Yeah. So he uh, put his hand on my shoulder on the third floor of the CBN building, and he said, get ready to go to Jerusalem. Wow. So we came in August 17, 2000. I still have saved the... Uh, the, the stamp and the paper that you used to get back in 2000. And, uh, and so I, uh, in fact, I, I made a Christmas gift for my children and I, I, I saved those uh, pieces of paper. I uh, also put a scripture in there that said, uh, for I know the plans I have for you from Jeremiah and a picture of us when we first arrived. So we arrived in August of 2000. My wife, Liz, our three children, Philip, Kathleen and Grace, and then five weeks later, the second intifada began. Yeah. And as you know, it was maybe four year period of suicide bombings, uh, shootings, terror attacks. And uh, so that started five weeks later. So it's an adjustment to come to a new country, a new culture and a new language. But sure. to add to that uh, a time when bombs were going off near homeschool and work and you had to you know, tell your children not to drive, uh, not to ride the bus because buses were blowing up. Uh, but we felt looking back, it was sort of like living out Psalm 91, that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall, um, shall abide under the shadow of the Most High. So, um, so I, we, um, we felt God protected us through that time. And my wife and I, Liz, we didn't have the kind of conversation you might have expected that you know, do we uh, do we move? Do we go back? Are we in the wrong place? Is it too dangerous, uh, especially for our children? But we felt God had called us and he would protect us and he'd take care of us. And he did. And he um, even though there were some close calls, uh, God protected all of us. And uh, and so we have continued to feel called here for uh, almost 22 years. So th- th- thank you for sharing that. What What's interesting, and we've discussed this you and I individually being here during the, during the whole entire second intifada where things mm-hmm. were buses and cafes and malls and hotels. I mean, the, the, the amount of uh, suicide terrorism w- was crazy, but you also just expressed it from the perspective of a parent, a parent raising his children here. Yeah. And I mean, I, yes, we know. And I always explain this when I'm out speaking in churches and at Christian conventions, of course, we know that God has our back, yeah. but on a human level, it doesn't make it any less fearful. Did you, did you, how did you come to terms with that then? Well, I, I personally, I came to terms with it uh, actually in 1998. Uh, it was an unusual experience for me because I, this is how I felt led when I came here. This is my third visit. And I felt led in a spiritual sense to put my children on the altar, like Abraham put Isaac on a physical. And I said, Lord, and that was the leading in my heart. And I, as I prayed through that um, with the help of the Holy spirit, I felt I, I kind of yielded them back. And when I did that, when I was able to sort of press through that uh, with his help, I felt like he had a fierce love for them now, we know that in our minds that God loves our children, you know, far more than we do, even as parents. But I could feel that to a measure in my heart and that he had a fierce love for them. So 
when the bombs were going off, when the kids were close to bombs near the Anglican school, um, he, I, there was, a, I, I guess, a deeper sense that he would protect them and guard them. And that was an anchor to our souls, to my wife and I during that time. So because it's one thing to put yourself in harm's way, but it takes it to another level when you allow your children sure. to be in harm's way. I mean, that's um, I, I think uh, I think the comparison maybe is the rite of passage that almost all Israeli parents go through is when they send their kids to the IDF. Correct. Uh, you know, uh, boys and girls or young men and women. Uh, you know, you're you're trusting God with their lives because they are literally on the front lines, yeah. whether it's up in the north or the south or, or, you know, in the West Bank. Wow. And how interesting that you just used the analogy in terms of Abraham and Isaac, because when our oldest son went to the army, um, it was it was this in one event. It was unmitigated one of the unmitigated highest points in our lives and yet fearful at the same time. And, and at least the, the rabbinic commentary on Abraham getting mm. ready to sacrifice Isaac is he was a tear fell uh, and, and he was doing it from joy, joy serving God, mm. but he was still about to slaughter his own child. And, and what a mix, what an incredible mixed feeling, but yes, we have that. We have that here. Uh, an abundance. And I, I, yeah. I even think about it when my kids take the car and drive from, from uh, Gush Etzion and s- south of Jerusalem mm-hmm. um, into Jerusalem at night, because we live in a neighborhood that sometimes our neighbors don't like us so much. And we'll throw rocks, Molotov cocktails, floor tiles that have pierced the windshields and roofs mm. of cars and mm. injured us. So you, you, you do think about that. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. You, you go through it every day. We're, we're, uh, where you live. Yeah, yeah. we have mm-hmm. we have that. But there's still that joy. Um, before your first trip, I mean, there was must have been something like you, you said, when when CBN announced that there was interest in opening a bureau, you're the only one who ap- mm-hmm. applied, so to speak. Um, and you had been here before, but there had to have been something, something in the faith of Chris Mitchell, that made Israel significant to want to come here even that first time was there is there one thing that you can think of in your life or a few things that um that underscored that the significance of israel to you and your faith yeah uh, uh, yeah for sure you know i remember in 1996 before i came there were two places in the world that i hadn't been that i wanted to go to one was china the other was israel i've still never been to china okay. but uh i have uh, you know, obviously Israel was the place I came to. I think the Bible came alive when I, I came here. My wife puts it this way. Uh, you know, before you come to Israel, reading the Bible is like reading it in black and white. But after oh. you come here, it's like reading it in color. And uh, there, there's such a, a combination of, of um, uh, uh, how do I put it, elements here in Israel. First of all, it is the land of the Bible. Uh, it this is where the the Hebrew patriarchs like uh, like um, like Abraham like we're talking about the prophets you go to the city of David and and this is the Bible in in real real life in real time uh, go to the Galilee where Jesus was and walked and and so the Bible comes alive uh, the other thing is as a student of history you know you watch history unfold here 
and uh, and this is sort of the crossroads. I, I, I have put it uh, history of the crossroads of history and prophecy. Uh, you mentioned right. it, you know, in the in- introduction. You know, this is a land of uh, not only history of ancient history, and uh, if you are a student of history, I mean, there is four thousand years and more of uh, history here, and uh, and then you see prophecy coming alive. You see the Jewish people return from the uh, from the four corners of the world. Uh, you see Jerusalem increasingly becoming the center of attention, just like uh, Zechariah said. And then you see the geopolitics. And as a, a historian and as a reporter, I, I mean, the, there's no shortage of things to report on and things to try to interpret. Uh, you mentioned that scripture in Chronicles. You know, I think CBN News strives to become like the sons or daughters of Issachar who understood the times. Uh, how do you understand the times uh, without knowing what the Bible says? I mean, that's, oh. I think you have to know uh, your Bible and you have to know your history. And, uh, and then there's no, there's no limit. There's no end to learning. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Claire Fawn, she's with the University of the Holy Land. She said, you know, Jerusalem itself and certainly all of Israel it's like a classroom, and class is never over. Uh, the bell never uh, rings, and you're still learning. And if you like wow. to learn, and if you realize you, there's more to learn, you just continually learn. Uh, and you also meet the living stones here in Israel, like yourself, Jonathan. I mean, it's been a joy for me to get to know you over the years and, and, uh, and, and become friends. And uh, that is the, one of the treasures of Israel is the many people you meet uh, and, and the many facets you meet. And it's, uh, it's, it's just a, it's a fascinating place and it's a treasure as well. Uh, thank you. I, I want to push a little deeper. You, you, you work in the visual media and, and you're often in front of the camera, but sometimes you're narrating and there's B-roll, sometimes B-roll that you've shot and experienced and sometimes others. When you say the Bible comes alive, it makes sense, but Help help listeners who are who are don't have the benefit of seeing anything visual right now see a picture. What's the picture of the Bible coming alive? Okay, I have two pictures in mind. First of all, we did a story uh, I think about two years ago when in the city of David they found a a seal and a bula. Now back in twenty five hundred years ago when they had documents, they would seal them with uh, wax and they would use a seal and sometimes the impression was called the bula. Uh, I hope I don't have mixed up the seal and the bula, but <laughs> regardless, uh, we were interviewing a uh, archaeologist who actually had the seal and the bula, and uh, it was interesting uh, contrast because it was in, like a little Tupperware container. Uh, it, it seemed funny that you have these 2,500-year-old uh, artifacts <laughs> in a little Rubbermaid uh, box. And uh, so after our interview, he asked us if we would like to go into the room where they discovered the seal and the bula. And we said, of course. So we went down and in the strata of the um, excavation, you could see different black marks. Now I asked him what those were. And he said, well, those are some of the wooden beams that were burned in by when the Babylonians destroyed uh, Jerusalem. And I said, can I touch it? And he said, yeah. So you could actually touch, touch the embers of these wooden beams burned by the Babylonians. And I felt uh, this extraordinary sense of like you're touching history. 
Yeah. Touching you, you, my imagination went to thinking, what was it like? Wow. And during that time, it must have been a horrific time for many of the people of, of Jerusalem when the Babylonians came. The second picture I have is in the city of David from the pool of Siloam all the way up to the Temple Mount and where they are excavating what they say is the pilgrimage road. It's the road that connects the pool of Siloam where Jews would go to purify themselves and then go up to the temple to offer sacrifice. Well, they are excavating that road. And this is the road that, according to the archaeologists here in the city of David, undoubtedly Jesus walked on. Yes. And so did the pilgrims uh, during that time. And so you're actually walking on history, not just touching it, but walking on history in the Bible. Uh, The Bible come to life. I mean, there is a story in, in the New Testament that John chapter 10 of him healing a blind man. Well, that's where the Pool of Siloam was, and the, the road was built by Pontius Pilate. So uh, that is the Bible coming to life uh, when you when you hear. That's fascinating. Thank you for that. I want to um, skip to to contemporary, where we are in now in May of, of 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before I do, I just want to take a quick break uh, to share a, a word of actually about how people can come and uh, see some of it themselves. In addition to inspiration from Zion, another Genesis 123 Foundation program, Run for Zion, is the first program uniquely for Christians centered around the Jerusalem Marathon, creating meaningful and lasting experiences. We look forward to having you be able to join us in person soon, but now are offering you a way to connect from wherever you are in the world through virtual tours, webinars, and briefings. For information, or to register, please go to runforzion.com. Join Run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Okay, so Chris, we were just speaking about this. The, 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 you did a great job of depicting some of these things that people that can actually visualize and, and, and see. And even if they didn't see the burnt embers, mm. you can kind of close your eyes and imagine a, a, a movie of something burning and understand that it's not just a house, but it was God's house. And it was the city of Jerusalem and the biblical, the, the biblical and historic significance. And mm. I like how you uh, spoke about the crossroads of history and prophecy. But now today, we're in the month of May 2022. We just celebrated 74 years of Israel's independence uh, on the biblical calendar two weeks ago. This week uh, was the secular anniversary which are which our neighbors, our Palestinian and other hmm. uh, other neighbors, refer to as the Nakba or the catastrophe. And in just let's see, two weeks, uh, we'll be we'll be celebrating on the on the biblical calendar the reunification of Jerusalem from 1967. The, 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 I actually forgot to respond to somebody on Facebook who who was trying to throw a bone to the Palestinian Arabs and acknowledging their loss. Uh, their losses over the years by commemorating the Nakba. And my thought on that was, yeah, that's very nice to speak about the losses that Palestinian Arabs have suffered. But let's remember that when they call it the Nakba, they're trying to undermine the very legitimacy of the state of Israel. It was Israel's establishment that was the catastrophe, Mm. not the losses over the years. Is there any, you're you're here 20 years, You're, you're as entrenched in Israel as anyone else. And you certainly know your history and your and your Bible, is there any way or 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 
remote remotely that you can understand or explain the association of Israel's rebirth as a catastrophe? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can try and I, I, I guess I am entrenched, but I, I, like I said, I'm still learning and I'm still, uh, um, continuing trying to understand what's going on. Since we are here in May, about the middle of May, or we're actually in the middle of May, um, you know, I think it's important to understand the context of the last several weeks. And we have had a wave of terror attacks where 19 Israelis have been murdered. Uh, in Tel Aviv and Beersheba and uh, Elad, and sometimes horrifically, and not not that any murder is less horrific than another, but some have been particularly gruesome. Um, and then because of this, uh, the IDF is trying to uh, mitigate those that wave of terror and trying to arrest and uh, many of these uh, terrorists in places like Janine. Now, Jean has, Janine has become the focal point of... Uh, of the last several days, because during a counterterrorism raid, uh, tragically, an Al Jazeera Al Jazeera journalist was uh, killed. Uh, it's uncertain who killed him. Uh, who killed her? Was it part of the crossfire of Palestinian terrorists? Was it the IDF uh, mistaken her? Um, the investigation uh, goes on, although the Palestinian Authority has uh, refused to cooperate. Uh, and then just last Friday, there was a funeral and uh, for Shireen Abu uh, Akli in, uh, in Jerusalem. And unfortunately, there was a, uh, you know, not a uh, not very pleasant situation between yeah. some of the mourners and the uh, the Israeli police. Uh, the police have one version of events and other people have others. But uh, I would say in the context, I think the larger story is that I think over the years, and I, this goes back decades, it has been the unwillingness of whether it's the Palestinian Authority uh, to recognize uh, the Jewish people and uh, and the state of Israel. And I think that is not only nationalistic, but also religious. And I think that is a part of the story that many times gets untold. Um, and I don't think you you lose context if you realize that in Islam, uh, any land that had been controlled by Islam at one time, it is the duty of Muslims to reclaim that territory. And uh, as Dr. Mordecai Kadar had told us one time, an Islamic expert, uh, the double uh, affront to many Muslims is the fact that it's the Jewish people that control this land. Uh, so it is uh, Hamas's desire. It is uh, the Islamic Jihad, it is Fatah, uh, to uh, reverse what they call the Nakba. And they want not only to uh, have a two-state solution, but a one-state solution, eliminate mm. the Jewish people. Uh, you can go to uh, schools uh, funded by UNRWA and find that many of the children are given indoctrinated, I would say, not ed educated into uh, the fact that uh, they will one day be able to drive the Jews into the sea. They will, right. uh, and, and if you hear these children uh, talk, it's it's kind of alarming to know that they are being uh, uh, raised to try to eliminate the Jewish uh, state and uh, the Jewish people. And uh, sadly, it, it seems like it's being passed from one generation to another. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully, that perhaps puts some of the context of what we're going through tragically day by day. 
uh, into some sort of context where uh, it's um, it's a struggle that it's been going on for decades. You can go back to the 1920s and uh, where, you know, just several weeks ago, the, the claim was oh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is in danger. Correct. That goes, you can go back to the 1920s when uh, Husseini, who was the relative of Yasser Arafat, made the same claim. Correct. And uh, it just seems to inflame, uh, you know, some of the Palestinians. And, and it worked then. It works now, unfortunately. And that, uh, that makes it so difficult for Israel, who often is uh, trying to avoid uh, <clears throat> incidents and trying to mitigate terror. But uh, uh, tragic events like Shireen's uh, death happen or her, at her funeral happen, and it puts Israel in a very bad light in the eyes of the world. But they need to see the broader context of what Israel is facing. Yeah, 100%. By the way, you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned her in the funeral. Um, I was watching that live on Al Jazeera. In fact, I, I'm not even thinking about the fact that we were speaking today, sent you an article to, to, to use if you want, but also addressing that, addressing that, that in fact, she was a Christian, yeah, and and you know this. I mean, you, or, or correct me if I'm wrong. I I, I I like that from the integrity. Christians don't have it so easy in the Palestinian Authority. And I alluded to the fact that she her her, her not only her body, uh, her memory, but her body was somewhat hijacked for this Palestinian national cause. Yeah, and uh, and the reality is Christians don't have it so good. And to to be yelling Allah Akbar at her death is a is a is a Muslim cry. Um, uh, largely against Israel, and it just that that seems somewhat out of place. No, I I, I agree, and I it seemed from the very beginning that her her um, her killing was really hijacked by the Palestinian Authority, where she became a martyr for the cause and for for the nationalistic cause, regardless of whether or not she was a Christian or not. It reminded me of a similar incident um, back in I think it was two thousand three. Uh, where a young boy, uh, his name was Corey, he was a friend of my son in uh, the Anglican school, uh, on a Shabbat, it was a Friday evening, he was running on uh, French Hill, you know, one of the neighborhoods here in Jerusalem. Uh, he, uh, I think it was one of the Alexa Martyrs Brigades was uh, on the prowl, literally, for to try to kill somebody. Uh, he, as he was running, they, they talked to him in Hebrew. He answered in Hebrew because he spoke English, Arabic, and uh, he was a young Arab Christian. Uh-oh. And uh, he answered in Hebrew. They, they, they shot and killed him. Uh, and then the Palestinian Authority attended the funeral <laughs> and uh, they, uh, or representatives from the Palestinian Authority. And they said to his mother, he was a martyr. Oh, God. She said, He's not a martyr. He's an angel. And, uh, you know, she rejected the, the fact that they tried to uh, usurp his memory and try to hijack his death for their particular cause. But, you know, they gave her a state funeral uh, over in Ramallah. And uh, you could see from the very beginning that this was going to be uh, they, they were going to use her death uh, for their purposes. Sure. Um, so Chris, okay. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That makes it even, even more real, your, your own personal experience in this case, your son's, um, and, and matter of fact, you know, what really underscores something that obviously is true. You're here entrenched, embedded part of us for over two decades. And there's a saying that all Israelis 
know somebody or know somebody mm. who knows somebody who has been killed in war or terror and how sadly that you have that experience as well. Yeah, very much so. In fact, uh, I remember in the second intifada, you know, having conversations like on a Shabbat dinner. Uh, did you hear about the latest attack? Who was close? Who was near? Was there anyone injured? Uh, I remember um, a good friend of mine was right near one of the bombs and he uh, miracul- miraculously survived. But just an example, you're right. You, you, you typically know somebody that knows somebody who was close to a terror attack, injured in a terror attack, tragically died in one. Correct. But, uh, yeah. Correct. Um, in, I think it's two weeks, right? Two weeks from now, the end of the month, we're celebrating Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day. The day, the day on the biblical calendar that corresponds to the day in June 1967 when Israeli paratroopers liberated Jerusalem, went into the old city, temporarily hoisted a, an Israeli flag on the, on the um, uh, Temple Mount. First, before we speak, biblic, uh, excuse me, historically, what's significant to you, Chris Mitchell, about that, uh, the, the restoration and, and living in Jerusalem now, prophetically? Well, it's amazing. I mean, you see, uh, sometimes when I, we lived in Abertur at one time, and from uh, uh, just across the street from our house, I would take our little dog, Trey, and uh, take him up for a walk. And he had a spectacular view of the old city, the Temple Mount, uh, the Mount of Olives. I remember looking at it and still do. Uh, it's a it's a city to me that's pregnant with prophecy, uh, with things yet to unfold. Uh, you know, as Zechariah said, all the nations will come against it. And uh, and yet also the history of things that have come. Uh, into Jerusalem, whether it's Abraham uh, offering up Isaac on Mount Moriah, uh, King David setting up his kingdom in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus uh, teaching at the uh, at, in, in the temple, uh, and and here we are, two thousand years after that, when for the first time in more than twenty five hundred years, uh, Jerusalem is in control of the Jewish people. CBN did a docudrama uh, several years ago, about five years ago. Oh yeah on the 50th anniversary of the reunification of the city and uh, called In Our Hands, The Battle for Jerusalem. And I remember one thing in that movie where uh, some of the paratroopers didn't think they were fighting the Jordanians. They felt like they were fighting the Romans. Wow. And they were, it wasn't just a modern day battle, but this was a, a battle for millennia that the Jewish people would come back and control Jerusalem uh, for the first time uh, since the Babylonians. And it's uh, it's just an extraordinary time to be here, uh, to see this unfold. And, and I think Jerusalem will continue to be the focus increasingly of world attention. Uh, and that's why, you know, even just in the last few weeks, the Al-Aqsa Mosque in danger is on the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is this flashpoint. And so when Mati Gore said, the Temple Mount is in our hands, the Temple Mount is in our hands, you know that that reverberated throughout the world, and and you know more than more than me how that reverberated among the Jewish people. Yeah, it. Uh, it, it yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. It really is incredible. And yeah, and, but but here but here's the challenge. Uh, you know, I I often it, it, I don't know about you. I I often get confused between all the names of the operations, the the the, the battles, the wars. And I don't like to call it the 
Lebanon war or this war, Gaza war, because to me, it's all the battles of the unfinished war of independence. We haven't mm. yet completely concluded that. And, and here's my concern. And I, I, I know two things. Well, I, I'm never the smartest one in the room unless I'm alone. <laughs> and, and I would I disagree also, with that, uh, Jonathan. No, well, I don't know. And, and I, I also know I'm not a prophet, but I'm looking ahead at the, our joyous celebration of Jerusalem Day in two weeks, mindful of the fact that with the rhetoric that you just referred to, the rhetoric and the violence that we've been experiencing the last several weeks and the Arab history overlaid with Islamic theology, mm. I'm, I, I'm not a prophet and I don't want to be a prophet of doom, but I'm kind of nervous about how exactly a year ago on Jerusalem Day is when that whatever the last yeah. operation was, which was mm-hmm. just another battle in the war, Hamas began to unleash over 4,000 rockets being fired. You're, you're, you're aware of what's going on. You're aware of current events. You live in Jerusalem. Do you, do you think that I'm crazy having that thought or, 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 or is there something to it? Do we need to be looking out for, for, for signs toward uh, potentially more violence? Not at all. No, I think you're, you're, you're exactly right, given uh, what's going on right now. And, and just let me add one thought about uh, Jerusalem. You know, the Jewish people, and you know this, uh, have been saying next year in Jerusalem for 2,000 years, and now right. the Jewish people are back here in the land of Jerusalem. So in two weeks, when uh, Israel celebrates uh, Jerusalem Day, then uh, you're right. One year ago, it was on Jerusalem Day when the rockets began to fall, and I believe for 11 days there was um, thousands of rockets fired into uh, into Israel by Hamas, Islamic Jihad, uh, into Israel. And, and it was almost like a uh, fireworks display because the videos, you could see the rockets coming in and you could see the Iron Dome uh, missiles striking them down. Uh, thankfully, they shot down maybe 90%. But that was uh, in a atmosphere uh, of a lot of tension. I would say there is as much tension, if not more, now uh, and so the tension will be uh, one, of, one of the logistical problems. The police are going to have to uh, decide, will thousands of Israeli youth be able to march through uh, the old city into the Damascus Gate? Correct. Uh, you know, the, I know from the vantage point of the police, they'll be thinking, we don't want to uh, inflame the situation anymore. And many of these young Jewish uh, uh, youth or more uh, seasoned uh, Israelis will say, this is our city. Right. Why can't we go through? We, we need to, uh, you know, just demonstrate that we are sovereign in, uh, in this city. So that, I think, is going to be the tension in two weeks uh, or some of the decisions to be made. And, and God forbid there will be another replay of what happened uh, one year ago. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the police because the police have the calculation of keeping pu- public order and there's another important piece, which I don't want to get into in depth, but I love your input. Israel has a, um, a government with a, well, it, it no longer has even, a, you can't even say a slim majority. It's, a, it's an even split in the Knesset. And this government has exactly 60 seats, as does the opposition. And it's a government made of eight parties, including left-wing parties, including an Arab party and including right-wing nationalist parties. And each of them are going to be vying for 
no nationalist marches in Jerusalem? Yes, not nationalist march, marches in Jerusalem. A, because of violence, and B, because they need to try and somehow keep this very uh, loosely knit group of eight parties together. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's a very fragile coalition, and I think it's uh, um, it's plot, it's stumbling along, I think, right now. Uh, without going into too much detail, you know, it is 60-60 because a Yamina party member, uh, part of uh, Prime Minister Bennett's party, uh, left the government. And uh, there's just, I mean, one or two other defections could make the government fall. Correct. And, and uh, they are trying to manage each and every crisis uh, so that the government doesn't fall. Now, uh, in Jerusalem Day presents a, a challenge because on the one hand, you do have these uh, parties that think uh, that are nationalistic and feel this is, the, this is our, our city. We, we control it. We're sovereign here. We need to march. Then you would have on the far, far other side of the political spectrum an Islamist party right. that is associated with the Muslim Brotherhood. Right. So, and it really makes it very difficult. So, if the crisis uh, continues and maybe uh, the the march in their view goes too far, maybe they'll uh, leave the government. So that Indeed. is a very very difficult, I would say, dysfunctional. Uh, <clears throat> political system right now or political yeah. coalition very dysfunctional very problematic and 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 uh something that can't not be a factor in whatever will take place uh two weeks from now or the aftermath thereof um yes and we, and we have to see um i want to i want to come back to just some more of your own experiences here you're living as a christian in jerusalem in a in an Israeli in a Jewish Israeli state, what's that like? What's it like being a Christian as a minority as compared to living in uh, in um, Virginia Beach? Um, <laughs> well, it's a lot different. It's uh, and I uh, I've I've gotten more used to it. Somebody said, you know, living here is like walking with the pebble in your shoe. It's a little uncomfortable, but the pebble gets smaller over time. So you get uh, get used to it. Um, you know, we we have um, we have good Christian friends. Uh, we have a, a strong congregation that we uh, that we attend. And um, I, I, I guess after 22 years, almost I, I've, I've gotten used to the dynamic of living uh, sort of as a minority and uh, in, in the Jewish state. But I, I love my uh, Jewish friends like yourself. And uh, it's it's an amazing place to be. And it's a privilege, I think. And I, it's it's something we strive at, Jonathan, uh, to report accurately about what's happening yes. here in Israel. And to uh, uh, we, we take that very seriously. I, it, and I won't say we always succeed, but we're always trying to um, to to really uh, make a difference, I think, in some of the reporting that goes on here. Um, I remember a tour guide. Uh, giving a, a tour in the Western World Tunnels. And back in 1996, I believe, uh, at the time, Yasser Arafat made the claim that the Jews, that Israel was undermining literally the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Yes. And there were riots. And uh, in much of the reporting, apparently, at the time was was very misleading. And it didn't tell the truth. And so I, I remember that as uh, as one example of the importance of of 
reporting accurately and and giving many times uh, context yeah. to the uh, to the story so people understand uh, <clears throat> you know what's what's uh, what's happening and and sometimes when you see uh, video of a terror attack uh, you know you need to understand a little bit more uh, of what's going on. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, this is not shameless promotion of you or 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 any pandering. I think you're the best at it. Uh, it's it's a very reporting the news with context is hard enough. I think mm-hmm. doing so here in Israel a thousand times more. And I think you do a fabulous job. People who aren't familiar with you and CBN Israel and Jerusalem Dateline really really should uh, subscribe, follow, and all of the media. Um, that there is what what surprise what surprised you I mean I'm sure you came here in 2000 with certain understandings and expectations but now again you're a veteran and you're here among us for over two decades what what most surprised you oh well first of all thank you for your comments it, it is something we take uh you know very seriously and and uh we I, I think hopefully with a, a healthy dose of humility so we just um, we continue to to work at what we do. Um, what surprised me? I think um, I don't know if I had time to be surprised. I just got thrown into the deep end of the pool, and I thought, well, but uh, even in retrospect, even now looking back on twenty two years, what's the what stands out as being wow? You know, I never thought of that, but how interesting, or or or, or what I what I learned, or what's changed you. I think one of the things that's really struck me over the years is that uh, the news never stops. Right. I know the news never stops anywhere, you know, so to speak, but it really doesn't stop here. Yeah. It, uh, you go from one war to another, one crisis to another. Uh, you go from maybe an, a, a tremendous archaeological discovery, like we talked about in the city of David, uh, or you go to a political crisis, uh, a geopolitical crisis. Uh, the intensity is is quite extraordinary here, uh, you know, and it may get even more. But I, I think that's one of the things that uh, has surprised me. And um, I, I think and I mentioned this uh, before, too. I, I think that the one thing that has really been f- so fulfilling has been the rich uh, relationships over the years. Uh, the um, I, I think coming from Virginia Beach uh, area. And I uh, lived in Chesapeake for many years, which is just a suburb of Virginia Beach, where CBN has its headquarters. You know, a very comfortable suburban life. Uh, children were going to a Christian, private Christian school. And here we come to uh, Jerusalem and to the middle of the Intifada. And uh, that um, it forged in us some very, very deep relationships. And I, I I'm not uh, not minimizing the the wonderful friendships we had back in Virginia, but uh, I think the furnace of Jerusalem and is Isaiah does say that Jerusalem is a furnace. I think forges uh, a deeper relationship and uh, with friends uh, like yourself. And my daughter put it this way: We when we came here, we got ruined for the ordinary. Uh, it just wasn't a, a typical. Um, suburban life anymore. It was, uh, you know, a matter of uh, survival sometimes, uh, a matter of, um, you know, trying to meet the challenges, whether they are emotional or physical or uh, professional. And uh, so it's, um, but I I don't, 
I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it. I, I it's been, uh, it's been a privilege. And I, I feel like, uh, that the Lord has just, um, uh, been, been privileged to be here. Well, it, it is. And, uh, um, I, I don't claim to represent God, but I, <laughs> know that he made a promise in Genesis twelve three about blessing those who bless yeah. Israel, and I I look at you as a blessing, and I and I see that he is blessing you through many ways, and being here, and being and being the eyes and ears and the voice depicting what's going on here to Christians all around the world, and uh, hmm. again, it's amazing. I want to take another uh, quick break, Chris, um, and then come back and talk to you about uh, some of the most extraordinary highlights of your of your tenure and life in Israel before we wrap up. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at Genesis123 dot co slash bless a soldier that's genesis one two three dot co slash bless a soldier and when you do you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people please join us okay so chris it's not a particular anniversary if i had had the insight i would have started my podcast two years earlier and then had you on your on, for the 20th anniversary. So it's not a, it's not a particularly significant date that we're speaking, but you are here for a very long time and you've got, I, I, I don't know. Do, do you even know how many reports you've done from, from, from or about Israel? Uh, it's probably over a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I, again, and, and with the ones, when I read your bio, the second intifada, you must've had dozens of, reports that related to that the second lebanon war the same thing arab spring which of course touches israel though it wasn't directly relating to israel those are some of the big things but okay let's take a thousand reports i remember so vividly the the uh, san remo because no mm. one's looking at that no one and, and the fact that you even thought of it much less did it and had that great maybe we'll put in the uh maybe you can help me find that and we'll put mm-hmm. it in this in the notes sure. for this to give people a sense of something that they probably don't know about. But what are the top three? If you've done a thousand, what are the top three that are either significant to you or significant in the um, history, the, the, the intersection of history and prophecy, as you said? Well, well, uh, I'll put San Remo in the top three because you mentioned it and I can explain a little more about it. Um, and and <clears throat> this explains too how sometimes uh, I may not be the, the the smartest person in the room, just like you. Uh, when I was invited to San Remo, that was the 90th anniversary of the signing of the San Remo uh, resolution. And that was actually what that did is ratify the Balfour Declaration that was written in 1917 
putting a, uh, you know, uh, a Jewish homeland uh, in international law. And a and lot of people... 1920, correct? That was in 1920, yeah. Right. Ratified by the League of Nations in 1922. Ratified also by the uh, Congress of the U.S. And if you remember that uh, the League of Nations resolutions were adopted by the United Nations. So uh, if you want to look at it, uh, Israel in international law legitimacy, you go back to San Remo. And uh, the reason I said, well, it may not be the brightest person in the room is that I almost was trying to find ways not to go. But Thomas Sandel from the European Coalition of Israel uh, really convinced me to come. And at the time, you may remember there was an uh, volcano in Iceland. Oh, yeah. That, that actually prevented some of the people from actually coming. But uh, since we were on the other side of the uh, volcanic, volcanic ash, we, we made it. It was an extraordinary time. Uh, Ambassador Danny Danone, uh, he wasn't the um, uh, former, uh, he's now the former UN ambassador uh, from Israel, but he attended. And it really was an eye-opening experience to realize that uh, Israel has a rightful place among the nations under international law because of the San Remo Resolution. I would say a couple of the other major stories that we've done, one would be in Magdala, which is the hometown of Mary Magdalene, right on the yep. shores of the Sea of Galilee. Yep. Uh, there's a Catholic order called the Legionaries of Christ, and they bought that property for a retreat center. And, uh, you know, people would know, you know, Jonathan, that anytime you uh, build here in Israel, uh, if you find any archaeological evidence, you have to stop construction. You have to call in the Israeli Antiquities Authority, and uh, you have to... Uh, they have to do excavations. Well, they prayed a prayer before they, uh, when they bought the land. They said, well, Lord, if, uh, if we do find, first of all, either let's not find anything on the property so we can just build it. Or if we do find something, let it be something very significant. <laughs> well, they found something very significant. They found a first century synagogue, one of the uh, only ones, I think, actually on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, I think one of six in all of Israel. And they found something called the Magdala Stone. Yes. Now, this would be where the scrolls would be uh, placed for the reading. And uh, although Father Kelly up there, he says they don't have the video, they lost the video, they really believe Jesus would have preached there. Because in the Gospel of Luke, it says Jesus preached in all the synagogues around in the Galilee. Uh, so that, was, to me, was a very significant uh, story. We've reported on it several times. Uh, we were there in 2009 when it was just discovered, and it really lay dormant for almost 2,000 years. It was yeah. only under a few feet of uh, uh, of soil, and it was never excavated until 2009. So that was another story. And I, I'd, I'd say one other story and it was an experience, uh, Jonathan. Uh, we were doing a story on part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and many of the Dead Sea Scrolls are at the Israel Museum, and uh, I, I think actually we were doing a story on another part of the scroll, but they mentioned to me that they had Genesis 1-1, and I asked if I could see it, and they brought in a, uh, a glass plate with the, um, <clears throat> the writings of Genesis 1-1, In the Beginning God. I tell you, wow. I could feel the presence of the Lord in that room. I, I just couldn't. I, I just was looking at the oldest part of uh, 
existing fragments of God's word. And it's from Genesis 1-1. It, it was kind of overwhelming uh, experience just to see that. And I would say that those kind of, they're certainly in the top 20, those three that I mentioned. But uh, those are three experiences those are three. Uh, those are three great ones. Even if you cheated and used one of the ones that I mentioned, <laughs> but that's but no. But it's so significant, and I'm glad you did. Thank you yeah. for that. And as you're talking about, I mean, I think all of it. Um, but seeing the the the, the handwritten parchment, yeah, of Genesis one one from over two thousand years ago. My when you're t- talking about it, my heart races. Yeah. It's extraordinary to see this is, you know, the writings of the Essenes, but the oldest living uh, document of uh, of God's word of the Torah, the beginning of the Torah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thank you. Um, Chris, I, w- I want to wrap up with a question. You know this, and, and, and you probably don't experience it to the degree that I do. You have your own challenges, but th- there are a lot of Jews who look at you and other Christians with the uh, with suspicion and distrust and and certainly lack of understanding. And as a result of being one of the Orthodox Jews who's who who's who was called by God, but but also has made a life of building bridges with Christians, I get a lot of pushback. Mm. Um, what do you want Jews and Israelis to understand about why Israel is significant to you personally and Christians in general that might help um unruffle feathers of, of people who who have it uh, sadly we have an instinctive re- response to to yeah, Christians yeah. And christianity for history yeah I, I i know and i learned that i was one of the things i i learned when i came here is is how deeply um you know suspicious and there's there's reason for it there's two thousand years of history behind that and uh i would say that i um I came because I feel called and I, I, I kind I came because uh, just the privilege to stand with uh, the Jewish people in the state of Israel in the world of media. Um, and one of the things that I have seen over 20 years is this, uh, I guess you could call it a rapprochement between Jews and Christians. Yes. And uh, part of that sprang from the second intifada. Because I, I, at that time, when many people did not want to come here, it was evangelical Christians who actually continued True. to come and stand with Israel even, even in that dark hour. True. And uh, I think that was the beginning, uh, as it says in Casablanca, of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> and uh, But you've seen uh, things like your organization, Jonathan, uh, Genesis 1, 2, 3, You've seen organizations like Christian Friends of Yad Vashem. Uh, I just spoke at a seminar of Christian leaders from around the world that had come to learn more about the Holocaust and about BDS and how they can stand with Israel. Uh, The Jewish Agency, Christian Friends of the Jewish Agency, uh, Christian Friends of Magen Davida Dome. Many Jewish organizations uh, have opened themselves uh, to working with Christians and partnering with Christians. And I know many of these Christians love Israel unconditionally, and yeah. uh, they plan to stand with Israel. And as they see the rise of anti-Semitism, uh, I think increasingly they're feeling uh, emboldened uh, not to run, but to stand uh, beside the Jewish people for such a time as this. 
Well, I hope, uh, thank you for that. I, I, I can only say amen, and uh, I agree, and I hope that any, any of our Jewish friends listening will also <laughs> be, help, that, that everything that you've shared today, but specifically that, will help to, to, to break down barriers in the bridges that we, that we do want to create. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to offer um, guests that I host before wrapping up, Anything, anything that I missed, anything that's on your heart that you especially want to share from, from a personal or professional perspective? Hmm. That's always a great question to ask. It's one of the questions I always typically ask at the end of an interview. Ah, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, because some people, you know, in, in, you may have missed something and, and people have something on their heart. But I, I think you've covered it quite well, Jonathan. It's been a real privilege to be able to share with you and, um, you know, as friends, as, yeah. as the, uh, to, you know, the, the experiences I've had over 22 years. And uh, yeah, and it's uh, God bless uh, the work you're doing, Jonathan, and uh, privilege to call you friend. Thank you. Likewise. And it's a, it's a privilege to call you friend and, and thank you and God bless you and, and continue to bless you for, for many, many more years doing what mm-hmm. you do, not just on a personal basis, but it's a, it's a significant calling. And, I, and I'm grateful, as I know many are. Yeah, um, I would add this, Jonathan. It's just a plug for our Jerusalem Dateline. Uh, you can see it on date, JerusalemDateline.com. And we try, you know, over the years, uh, the Lord's been good to us. Uh, it's translated into Russian, into Finnish, Swedish, Romanian, Spanish, subtitled in uh, Korean. And what we uh, really are excited about is that it can get that uh, perspective that we try to, we strive to get to you know, nations around the world. So that's, uh, if you want to see it, it's on JerusalemDateline.com on CBN.com. Great. I, I, I wholly encourage everyone listening to, to go check it out. And I know there's a place to subscribe as well. So you don't have to, uh, do it, do it every week. Um, it's good stuff. Chris Mitchell, um, CBN bureau chief in Jerusalem and, and a, a privilege to have you here and call you a good friend. Thank you for taking time today to join us. I always like to wrap up the conversations um, tongue in cheek, but saying, if you stay with us this long, you deserve a reward. Beginning this year, if you've been following uh, inspiration from Zion, the Genesis one, two, three has been offering a special gift every month. I like to call it from Jonathan's bookshelf. And this month, specifically because of the topics that we discussed, the historical events, I've got a special book that I've picked out. And all we ask is people to do is to follow Inspiration from Zion on social media, follow, like, and share, and comment. And at random, we're going to pick one person every month who's done one of those things. And I like to encourage people to, to do that. And, and honestly, and I, and I probably do say it about every episode, but I really mean it about this episode. It's real important because it's important people get to know Chris Mitchell and, and, and what he's doing here. Um, we're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. And if you're ever in the area and want to pop in and say hi and thank them for helping make programs and conversations like this possible, please do so. And thank you to the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis One Two Three Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. This episode is sponsored in memory of the brother of our good friends, Gail and Renee Hammonds. Um, they're, sadly, their brother Purcell died recently. 
and we're we're privileged to to do this episode in his memory. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions, especially questions you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. Thank you and God bless you. Hallelujah.